We are going to pick up in the third week in a four-week series that I have titled A Pastoral Letter. I, I know some of you have been here every week and you're like, I know what this is about. You've said it two times before, but I'm gonna say it one more time. Um, I've been praying for what God would have for Family Bible Church in the direction that I don't know why he compelled me to say these things to you, but it was clearly something he had on my heart, and so I'm gonna say them. The, the things that I would want you to remember, if you never heard from me again, and there's nothing going on that I know of that you wouldn't hear from me again. But seriously, this would be the things that I think about Nico. I was watching Nico in the back today, right? Setting back about Brittany at the soundboard. What would I want him to know about the gospel? Because we get all in the weeds and the stuff, and what does it look like? And so I told you that week one, we talked about the most important idea in our lives as Christians is to trust Jesus. And we talked about the ways that we can do that. It sounds simple, but it's a lifelong discipline of trusting Jesus again and again and again with the things that we face. And then last week I talked to you about this idea of talking with God and we use Jesus himself as the model for how we are called or invited, I should say, to speak to God. That there, and I said this and I really believe it with all my heart, there's no wrong way to pray but to not, right? Like when we think we're isolated all alone, if we're angry, if we're hurt, if we're upset, if we're happy, if we're excited, there's no wrong way to pray except to not to ignore God in our lives. And so I can't encourage you enough that wherever you are on your faith journey, whether you've believed in Jesus your whole life, whether you're new in your faith, whether you don't even believe in Jesus yet, I would encourage you to be talking to God about the things that you struggle with. That might sound weird to you, but I recall specifically my own faith journey I was talking to a God I didn't believe in before I was saved, and that sounds wild, but I was like, I was like, okay, we're gonna give this the college try, and you know, if you're there, God, I need, you know, show me this or whatever, and it wasn't like proofing exactly, but I didn't believe it at all, and, and God in his mercy showed up. God in his mercy heard my prayer, and so I would encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey, to talk to God about what's going on in your life, that's all, and by the way, when we do the prayer thing at Four Days for Life, that's what we're doing. We're praying that, that we are talking to God and that others will be talking to God about what they're doing in their lives. So that's what the hope is. Then today we're gonna talk about um, remembering the gospel. <laughs> now this is kind of a weird thing to put third. I said, trust Jesus, and then I said, talk to God, and I said, remember the gospel. And you might go, well, why in the world would you talk about remembering the gospel? Don't we talk about the gospel all the time? Yes. Do we, do we always remember the gospel? I don't think that we do. <laughs> I don't think that we do. W one of the things that I'm stunned by, when we were on this retreat we did up in uh, Michigan, um, the, uh, the pastor was speaking, and, uh, oh gosh, where did it, it just went away. This idea that um, we've got to remember the gospel. See, I've just forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> not the gospel, I know that, but we have a tendency to forget. Oh, I know what it was, and, and the, pa the preacher there, the, pa the preacher, I would say he's a preacher, uh, was talking about sexual sin in our lives, right? And, and, and he was, I think he was in like 1 Corinthians or something, and he was like, and it says right here, you live lives that are pure, and da-da-da, right, and all this, and we know the world, I love this guy, I'm not making fun, we know the world is, you know, filled up with sexual sin, and we ought not be like that. But the funny thing to me, and I had to go check my Bible to make sure that I wasn't misremembering, the letter he's reading about sexual sin isn't written to the world. It was written to us, the church. 
The letter is not written to, the, to all the sinners out there. The, the, the letter was written to us, and, and I know he was addressing that, so I'm, I, but he's like, he's, you know, it's e, and I'm not saying, because I know he knows that, but it's easy for me listening to him to go, yeah, those sinners out there, and forget the gospel. There's this great uh, text in the Old Testament, and it's in um, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it goes on from there, and you've heard it before, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it goes on from there, right, talking about teaching your children. Put these things in your heart and teach them to your children. But I think it's interesting, and I just want to, one thing I want to say is that we have a tendency to forget the gospel. So with all that being said, I want to stop I want to remember, um, I want to uh, do what we do, I want to pray for the revelation from God's word, and I'm going to share uh, some things with you today about remembering the gospel. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for the time to come now and to sit under your word and to have your word form us. Help us to listen with our, our minds and our hearts and our all of our attention that you would teach us, and I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be instructing us um, not Uh, my wisdom for sure and not even man's wisdom but your Holy Spirit's teaching that we might know you we might be changed and we might remember help us Father we ask it in Jesus name Amen well I'm gonna do what I've been doing I'm gonna start with a psalm Psalm 62 says this my soul finds rest in God alone My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless but in their hearts they curse, Selah. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Low-born men are but a breath, and high-born are but a lie. If weighed on balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. A psalm that kind of set us in this idea that we are called to trust God. Well, I share with you this idea that we have a tendency to forget, and I want to start today in talking about Um, remembering the gospel, and I mean that like practically to remember, to reassemble the gospel, remember what it truly is in our lives and our minds, and I'm gonna ask you to turn to Romans chapter three today. 
Before we get into what the gospel is, we have to know a primary thought that the gospel teaches about us, and it's this, that we are all sinners. When I was talking about that pastor in Michigan preaching, I just felt a tendency in myself to externalize that sin. It's not me that has these problems, it's someone else that has these problems. And even if I thought it was in a church, I thought it was that guy or that girl and not me necessarily, right? And so we have a tendency to forget here in Romans chapter three, verse 10, this is what the word says, 10 through 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. You might see that there's, it's quoted there in the, in the middle of that um, chapter in Romans, and the quote actually comes from the Psalms, and uh, come, it comes from the Psalms, and um, uh, let me look here, Psalm 14, and you don't have to turn there, I just wanna read you uh, this, because I, I love it so much how it ties in. The fool says in his heart, this is Psalm 14 if you wanna write that down, the fool says in his heart there is no God, they are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Verse three, all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Almost that verbatim uh, quote is found in Psalm 53, uh, verses one through three as well. The fool says in his heart there is no God, but there's none who are righteous, not even one. So this idea that, that, oh yeah, there's fools, but then there's all of us, all of us, who even though we know there is a God, we do not do good. Um, the last place you find that quote come from is, is Ecclesiastes 7.20, and that's where it says there's not one who is righteous. None are righteous. This idea that we are all sinners is foundational to understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're gonna uh, talk about today. But if that's what we want you to remember, the gospel. All right, so look again now at Romans three. Hopefully you're still there. Romans three, and we're gonna cover a couple more verses. We're gonna spend a lot of time in Romans today just kind of running through, but we're gonna jump around some other passages as well. Romans three twenty two. This is what Paul says then later on in that same chapter. This righteousness from God comes through, let me back up, and I'm gonna start in 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets all testify. Okay, I'm gonna talk about that a lot, but he says there's a righteousness that God is making known. He's gonna say through Jesus Christ. Look at this in verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay, there's a heads up on the good news. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then I'm gonna read 24, and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
And so you may have heard that before, Romans 3.23. It's part of what's called the Romans Road. But it says that simple idea that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no difference any longer. And he's talking here about between Jews and Gentiles because there's this idea that the Jewish people had. And I'm going to say this gently because I'm going to tell you why this is a problem for us. There's this idea that the Jewish people had that they were righteous but no one else. And he's like, no, there's no righteousness that comes apart from Jesus Christ. Now, why would I say it gently? Because many of us in the church, having heard the gospel and believed the good news, start to believe that we're kind of righteous in and of ourselves. And in the same way, it says, no, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. And that would mean a believing Jew or Gentile as well because um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And isn't it interesting, by the way, that, that there's this idea in here. You know what I did? No, I was right. I was right. Okay, I was confused myself here. But all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And we've sinned, missed the mark, but we don't reach the glory that God has for himself. We're going to find out why in a minute. So, all of us are in the same boat, all of us are sinners, and there's a tendency, there's a tendency that we can think um, we're pretty good. Now, let's start with the world. The world can say, yeah, we're pretty good, right? You hear the conversation a lot, like, well, I'm a good person, right? That's not the gospel. I'll tell you how deeply I believe this and why I would want you to remember the gospel if you forget everything else, remember the gospel, is what, one time I was talking to my dad and I, I talked to my dad about something. He had come through Highland, and he said, I almost came by. Yeah, I, it was a Sunday morning. I was in the area. And I said, Dad, you should have came. And he said, if I came to Family Bible Church, now get this church, and walked through the door, the place would fall down. That's what he said. Well, first of all, he don't know y'all, <laughs> first of all. And secondly, I said, Dad, I said, what? And he said, I'm not good enough. And I said, if you think the gospel is about being good enough, you don't know the gospel. Now, can I just tell you something? I didn't spend a lot of time preaching to my dad. Because he's my dad. <laughs> you know, like, like, I prayed for my dad and I encouraged my dad. I know he listened to me preach, but I didn't spend a lot of time in my private life telling my dad how he ought to be. He's my dad. But in the moment... He told me he couldn't come and worship and you know, listen because he wasn't good enough. This indignation came that if you think that's what it's about, you've got it wrong. By the way, dad was raised in the church. Hmm. And yet believed as an adult he wasn't good enough. I mean, he's right, but none of us are. None of us are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's, it's a reality. So then you go from that idea that the world has that we're not good enough and, 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 then, and then we can begin ourselves to feel that way. Well, we are good enough though, right? We're one of those good church people. That's the danger, danger, all right? So remembering the gospel, we can slip into that broken thinking. It doesn't apply to me. And what a tragedy after, we're going to talk about this, having received the, God, the grace of Jesus Christ as a full-blown sinner, we would be the ones that then say, you got to be good enough. Now, 
What is the gospel then? If we are not good enough, what is the gospel? Turn a couple chapters back in Romans chapter five. Chapter five, verses five through eight. I'm sorry, six through eight. This is what the word says. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, although for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So now you have this sinner problem, and the gospel says that at just the right time, and I and you know, this means in all the ways that that could be taken, right? The right time of history, the right time of circumstance, but the right time of our lives, at just the right time, Christ died for us. Now we know, in fact, Christ died on the cross. He did in, in a real place at a real time. But in that moment, he paid the price while we were powerless to, to, to um, forgive our sins, okay? So this is what the word says. At just the right time, while we were yet powerless, we could do nothing about our sinful state. Christ died for the ungodly. This is Paul, again, I'll say this, writing to the church. He died for those who don't deserve it, us. Very rarely, verse seven, will anyone die for a righteous person? I mean, there's something maybe you would do, maybe, though a good man might possibly dare but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a whole mess of theology in this idea that we are, uh, that the gospel is applied to us for of nothing of ourselves. And, and by the way, I would say this, that many people who are in the church don't agree with this. So this is what I see in the scripture. And if you don't agree, I would love to talk to you. And I'm not gonna try to convince you. You could try to convince me. But here's the idea that Jesus died for our sins. Check it out. He paid for our sins. He paid for my sins. He paid for your sins. And he paid for everyone else's sin on the cross. Christ died for us. Isn't that remarkable, by the way? One more thing here. While we were yet sinners, I covered that, still sinning, still steeped in sin. By the way, powerless, no ability we had to do anything about it. Christ died, look at the word, for us, toward us, on our behalf. So he didn't just die for sin, he died for us for you and for me. This is the gospel, and this is the difference. Nothing that we've done, nothing that we deserve, but God's love is demonstrated in Christ's death for us. Okay, we're gonna let that sit there for a minute. We're gonna come, come back around on this, but just hear that and know that that is the gospel. If you don't believe that he was serious, I'm gonna flip now to a different book. We're coming back to Romans, but we're gonna flip to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15, 12 through 15, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength 
that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service or calling me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent person, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves complete acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Wow. Paul writing to a young Timothy, a prodigy, someone who's called to minister the gospel, and he says, if there's anything you remember, know this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Tell you a couple of um, analogies here with coming into the church doors and having the place fall down around you because you're not good enough, right? We name cathedrals after who? St. Paul. St. <laughs> Paul. There's a bunch of them, right? Peter's Basilica as well, but here you have it, right? The, the church that Paul enters into. I told you this before, and I love it so much because I love him so much, but it's a great insight. As my brother-in-law, Rich, he was a local church pastor, and he was so frustrated with the church feeling righteous, feeling self-righteous and forgetting the gospel. He said, I want to hang a banner over the door that says, only sinners welcome Imagine that, St. Paul Cathedral, only sinners welcome. Because that's the gospel. But you get in there and you start to think, well, I'm pretty good. It's dangerous. Paul says this, Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But I wanna back up and show you something else that's really wild in here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus who has given me strength. He's considered me faithful believing, he's appointing me to service. I don't think that's true for just Paul, but Paul's saying it for himself. 13, even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Look at 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me. How can Paul say I'm the worst sinner? Because he has received the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly, he says, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So what did Paul receive from Jesus? Grace and faith and love. His whole life has changed. He goes from being uh, a violent man a blasphemer and a persecutor to a man of God through no work of himself but the grace being poured out on him. And then he could say freely, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. These words ring true to the gospel, an abundant grace found in Jesus Christ. So go back, if you would, to the book of Romans again. Romans, we're going to look at chapter 6. Romans 6, 9 through 10.
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So here we have Jesus dying to sin, and he can't ever die again because death no longer controls him. We're gonna get there in a moment, right? He died for our sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That Jesus Christ died for sins one time for all, for all time and for all people. I wanna say it this way. There's no further sacrifice or effort or, or mustering that's required or allowed for the gospel. It's not Jesus on the cross plus your own good works. It's not Jesus on the cross plus what, you know, your theology. It's Jesus Christ on the cross dying for your sin. The word says that we were dead in our transgressions. We couldn't lift a finger to save ourselves. The, we read a minute ago, it says we're powerless. He died to sin once for all. All time, all sin, all people. There's no more payment needed or accepted for sin except the death of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We're not gonna get off on the tangent, but I want you to know there's a reason for that because he's unique. He's one of a kind. God in God in the flesh. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing, that Jesus didn't just die for our sin, but he was raised to new life and is at the right hand of God right now. So death wasn't the final word. He mastered death and he was raised to new life. Turn a couple chapters back to Romans, or I'm sorry, Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 11 through 14. This is what the word says. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, that is Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So you see that? That in that one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we have that experience of being changed by Jesus, but in his act on the cross, we are made perfect. He's done it. There's nothing else to add. No more sacrifice. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny to me that often we will export that to other faith traditions. We'll say, well, we don't have that problem. They'd have that problem, but yet we still have a tendency toward self-righteousness. No, Jesus Christ died for us so we could be free. He was raised to new life at the right hand of God, and he makes us perfect forever in his sacrifice on the cross, once and for all.
I'll turn to the book of Ephesians and share a couple of verses with you there. I apologize for jumping around. I'm not trying to proof text, but I, it's just so many places, and I just want you to hear what the word says uh, with your own ears of this issue. Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna cover a few verses here if you wanna turn there. Here's what Paul says. I told you this a moment ago. As for you, church, believers in Christ, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead, necros, it means you, you, you were in, immobile. Not breathing, not alive. Verse two, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time. Hear it again, verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our own sinful nature and following the desires, uh, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by our nature objects of wrath. That's God's wrath. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're gonna come back to that in a moment. Verse seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because it is by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not, um, uh, not of works so that no one can boast because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a lot in there, but I'll go back to verse seven. It's wild. Verse six, actually, it's back up there. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I said to you that Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. I told you last week that Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father on our behalf, praying for us at the right hand. But here it says that we are actually in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father in our faith in him, that we exist in him. And this will come around later too, us and him and him and us, but that's wild. Verse seven, I want you to see this. We are seated with him in heavenly realms. Why? Is it, is it for ourselves? Is it for us? So we can see how cool we are? No way. Look at verse seven. In order that in the coming ages, the word there in the Greek is eons, he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That the salvation we have in the cross, that the, the, the grace that we didn't deserve but he poured out on us is actually that he might be glorified for his incomparable grace in the ages to come. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's why. That he would be glorified. Because he did it. That we didn't deserve it. And we don't deserve it. And none of us do. And then that, I love that sentence, you've heard it a bunch. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, 
not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now I'm gonna just articulate here a moment. Many of us are comfortable with the idea and we're like, well man, I didn't, um, I, I don't believe in work salvation. I don't believe in work salvation, Bill. I, I'm with you, man. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how that works, right? And, I, and I'll be like, cool. And this isn't taken away because God can work any way he wants, but then in the conversations where we don't think we're working in salvation, we'll be like, I said this prayer one time, and that's why I know I'm saved. And I'm like, what? I mean, I know we prayed, I did too, right? But, but is that what saved us? Is it the words, the magic words? See, we get into this area where we start to go, well, I had a little bit to do with it. That's not what the gospel says. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's a gift, it's a gift of God that he gave us salvation. I get a little worked up about it, apologize. It's a big deal. By the way, side note, then you go, well, how do you get saved? Stop rejecting Jesus. He died to save you. Stop rejecting him. It's a gift. Receive. Saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What is boasting? Pride. What is boasting? Self-righteousness. What is, what is boasting? The man in the front of the sanctuary saying, thank God I'm not like those sinners back there. Woo. Help us, Father. We're seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ for his glory because of his grace we've been saved. Now, I'm gonna head back to Romans for a hot minute here. One verse, chapter eight. Verse 10, I believe. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Here it is, verse 11. I was off by one verse. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We're gonna transition now. So we have this idea that Jesus raised from the dead, but I wanted to point out this to you, that the same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you. He who raised Christ from the dead, the word says, will give you life to your mortal bodies, to the spirit who lives in you. I was talking to some friends of mine about this very passage this week, and we were kind of talking about it, and it's like, well, clearly that means that like Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. Give life to your mortal bodies. Yes, agreed. But I see in this text more than that. I see in this text that right now in our life, his spirit is giving us life through our mortal bodies. He's giving us animation, ability, a heart, a concern. And we're gonna talk about that next week, what this gift we have is in Christ. But that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. Resurrection, yes, but life now that we will see differently, hear differently, believe differently, live differently. Because he's done it. The work is finished. One final thought then. So you have Jesus died, we're sinners. Jesus died to pay for all sin, mine, yours, and others. He was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And the last thing is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, the gospel says, our final 
destination is with Jesus. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> We're gonna be with Jesus. That's a really big deal. <laughs> that means, now hear me, church, you can't screw it up. You're gonna be with Jesus. It's the life marked out for you. You're gonna be with Jesus. This is, I, I'm gonna pull this from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Not the only place you find this, but I love it so much. Jesus talking to his disciples, he says this, before he's going to die, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled, this is verse one, trust in God, trust also in me. I told you about that two weeks ago. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here it is. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. Guaranteed. Why? Because we're good enough? We, we follow Jesus enough? We did the right things? No, because he said it is so, and therefore it is so. I'm gonna go make a place, I'm gonna come back for you, and I'm gonna take you to be with me where I am. Let's read on a little, a few more verses here. Verse four, you know the way to the place that I am going, Jesus says, confident in his disciples. Thomas, one of my favorite disciples, says this, Lord, we don't know where you're going, <laughs> so how can we know the way? I love Thomas. And Jesus answers this way. What's he say, church? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we be guaranteed? How, how do we know we're going to come back? How, how are we going to find you? He says this. Thomas, Bill, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Now we read that verse and we say, oh, that's an exclusive verse, man. Boy, how terrible it's an exclusive verse. Jesus is telling his disciples the truth. You only get to the Father through him and you will only end up with him forever through him. He is the way that we are going. And our final destination is cemented in Christ. The book of Ephesians, this will be our last passage besides the psalm I'm going to read. The book of Ephesians here, if I can find it. Here we go. Uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. There's some controversial doctrine here. I'm not going to get into it. I'll be happy to talk about it. It's in the Bible. I'm not afraid of it. Listen to what the word says. In him, that's who? Christ. We were also chosen, having, be pre, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You'll see a lot of him, his, him in there. It's about, it's about God and Jesus Christ. Verse 12. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, no, that's not what it says, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his Glory, there it is again, praise of his glory, 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions or those who belong to God all for the praise 
of his glory. I'm gonna end on that. This idea that the gospel begins and ends, it begins with us sinners, but it ends with us having a seal of the Holy Spirit that we will be with him forever, a guaranteed inheritance, that we end up with Jesus in our final destination. We have that. We were included with Christ when we heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of salvation. And when we believed, we were marked with the Holy Spirit, we had faith, and that the Holy Spirit promises us an inheritance forever. We were um, talking this week in Bible study about that idea of being brothers and sisters of Jesus. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with the idea of being a brother of Jesus. Uh, he's my Lord and my Savior. But the truth is that in him, because of his righteous act on the cross, we are adopted as children of God, as sons and daughters of God himself. And that is our salvation. So, those things being said, let me share with you Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far that he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his every word. Praise the Lord, all heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord Oh, my soul. So I wonder, what are some ways in our lives that we can remember the gospel, that we can recall the gospel? Those moments that maybe we, we should wake up and realize we're, we're, we're getting away from what we know to be true. I'd encourage you to think about that. 
Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the day that we have come to celebrate your perfect work on the cross. This idea that we, we've done nothing to deserve it, it's, it's, uh, it's the most uncomfortable thing, Father, that you have done a work for us that we could never do for ourselves. And that we trust you with that work, that, that, that you have given us this gift of faith and this gift of salvation. Father, for those of you who've had your grace lavished on us, May we be the last ones to acclaim any self-righteousness. That means any righteous acts of our own. May, may we glorify you forever because you saved us. And then, Father, may we never pull up the ladder behind us. Oh, as if we're the last ones to get into heaven. Your son paid for the sins of the whole world. May we be proclaimers of that truth. May we set with sinners, knowing that we are no better, but we're saved. May you save sinners. Father God, that uh, others might see in us not a self-righteousness, but your holiness manifest because of your good love for us. Manifest it for others. Father, um, I ask you to do the work that only you can do and save. Save those who don't believe the gospel is for them. Save those who don't believe they're good enough. None of us are. And help us, Father, set in your grace, proclaiming the gospel. Help us, Father, to never forget. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.